Everybody Googles everything, especially potential customers or employers, and a business or personal online reputation can make or break you. If negative search results or reviews are impacting you, Webamax is here to help. Our proven process restores your online reputation quickly and effectively, and it matters. Don't let negative results control your narrative. Visit GoWebamax.com and fill out a brief confidential form to see how we can help. Remember, if you aren't paying attention to your online reputation, someone else is. GoWebamax.com. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad... To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad... To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad... To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. It's time for Cover 2 Broncos. Just a couple dudes breaking down scheme, film, and the numbers. Now, your hosts, Joe Rowles. Welcome back to another episode of Cover 2 Broncos. I am Joe Rowles, and today I am joined... By the Vikings corner, Daniel House. Um, thanks for joining me, man. Hey, thanks for having me. It's been fun watching watching the Broncos this week. I, I like the roster, and and now it's even more intriguing with George Payton as the GM of the Denver Broncos. And if you guys have not followed Daniel on Twitter already, he can be found at Daniel House, just like it's spelled NFL. So Daniel House NFL, and you can also follow Vikings Corner at Vikings Corner. Um, so, I mean, I, I just want to get right into it. You were at practice this week. You actually got to see everything kind of up close and personal. What stood out to you? I mean, kind of first and foremost, I had my eyes on everything, especially related to the Broncos, just watching the quarterbacks and Teddy Bridgewater versus Drew Locke. And I know a lot of Bronco fans are probably interested to hear what my thoughts are as an outsider on the quarterback competition. And I know a lot about Teddy Bridgewater from his past in Minnesota as well. And just looking at it from the big picture lens, there's a lot more upside with Drew Locke. You watch him and you go, okay, play action, boot big arm gunslinger type of quarterback, but yet sometimes it's like, just let it rip drew, like just go for it. Don't hesitate, go for it. And there's some reps where you'd see him off of play action, maybe hesitate a bit, which allowed a linebacker to drop in his zone. And then maybe he just, you know, didn't get the pass off quick enough. And then it led to a pass breakup or a tip ball interception. Like we saw once, uh, and, and looking at Teddy, for example, it's a little bit different. The offense emphasizes the short passing, you know, hitting in the flat, the intermediate game. Teddy's not going to blow you away downfield. And I mean, we knew that back in Minnesota, he was never really that downfield passing type of quarterback. So, you know, with the with the type of offense that you run with Teddy, it's, it's going to be the more getting the backs involved, the tight ends the quick passing game with the receivers versus Drew Locke, who could probably put more stress on defenses and has overall upside, you know, with the explosive passing plays vertically downfield, which I think opens up your offense and gives you a lot more options. So considering what I saw from the reps, it felt like Drew Locke won both of the days. And that's just how I felt it. It, it was a li- the first day I would say it was, it was closer. The second day Locke won by, a lot more, I thought. And I know the 
the interesting part of that is the first day most Broncos media thought that Teddy won the day. <laughs> and then I know uh the athletics Arif Hassan was talking about how basically everyone kind of lost because the the offenses on both sides of the ball really struggled. Yeah. Um and then I remember looking at your camp report because Bridgewater had that one really nice pass. I want to say it was to Judy. Yeah. But then but then reading your report on it about how basically he could have been sacked. The The ball was almost jumped. And then Jerry Judy made it look really good. So it was like, okay, so. Yeah. You, I really, Joe, I wish people could have really saw that play. It, it was like so overhyped where Nick Vigil blitzes downhill and Armand Watts just absolutely destroys and gets serious pressure on Teddy. And then Bashad Breland cuts under the route and nearly intercepts it and somehow doesn't get the ball. And like Jerry Judy comes down with it and finishes the final 20 yards off. So it was, you know, he had the highlight play of the day, but you got to look at the whole package. You know, you can't look at the splash play and you also have to look at it like, okay, if this were a real game, Teddy would have been absolutely obliterated or this ball probably could have been picked off. It, the, the tendency with Teddy is I think there's a lot of high risk throws like, and I, I don't think it's as much of him making bad decisions as it is. Like when he's throwing downfield, a lot of balls seem to be just underthrowing or he just doesn't have that like ability to push the ball downfield into a tight window. He's more of the, the touch type of quarterback where he's got to get that ball uh, into the intermediate game versus throwing it downfield and lock. I think, you know, he, he, he can really sling it when he wants to. And I, I'd like to see him play with a little bit, more confidence and that that's the that's the next step i'd say well and, and one of the things that's really awesome to talking with you about it is the fact that for those listening if you've been keeping up with like the tweets coming out of camp for the most part you, you'll end up hearing like oh bridgewater hit jerry judy who ended up taking it 20 yards for a touchdown and so you think about it and you're like oh sweet he hit a touchdown but you don't actually know the process that ended up the pro well the process and then like actually what happened that led up to the play actually yep. going the way it went. So I appreciate that because that, that gave me a lot of context on like why you thought Locke had a better day is because Bridgewater technically had the like probably the play of the day, but it was 10 times out of 10 or nine times out of 10. That's probably not a touchdown. And you have to parse that out when you're watching practice going, yep. okay, did, would this really happen in a live game? Is this something that, that you would expect? And Teddy day two in the red zone and the seven on seven, it was a big time struggle. Uh, he Kendricks picked him off trying to hit it in the flat to no fan the red zone. And then the next play, he got tipped again, trying to throw force a ball in. It was like a slant to Jerry Judy and he ran a beautiful release against Harrison Han. I mean, it was just unreal. Got tons of separation and, Eric Kendricks gets into the passing lane, drops in, I mean, and and knocks it away. So back-to-back -back plays there. And then there was, you know, other moments where Teddy had a ball up the seam, I believe, to like K.J. Hamler and couldn't quite get it in there. Like he he just – the tight window throws for Teddy are the thing that I, I, I just don't feel he can slam it in there where Drew Locke, if he needs to slam it in there, he definitely can do that. And I – I always felt like Drew Locke was was a gunslinger, and he, he is that way uh, uh, sometimes. But there there seemed to be like just some sort of a hesitation uh, throughout those practices, and I think some of that is related maybe to you know installation, offensive stuff. But uh, I honestly, I, if I was if I was Pat Shermer right now in the offensive staff, I would be building this thing around Drew Locke because there's a lot there's a lot more upside and untapped potential where I feel like Teddy has maxed out where you, you can take him. Well, and one of my biggest concern, well, and this is kind of like a multi-layered thing, but one of my biggest concerns with Bridgewater overall is what you said. The lack of arm strength kind of shows up in those tight windows, which is going to be a huge thing in the red zone. And up till now, my hope has been basically like he's accurate enough and the Broncos weapons are good enough that they can kind of go around that. But this this last week against the Vikings was not the first time that he's had like kind of a meltdown in the red zone. And that's kind of been where he's leaving the door open for Locke to really kind of step up and be the better player and get the job. And it's kind of what I'm looking for in the preseason is seeing if he's going to continue to have this issue. I don't think the Broncos will stick with him. 
Well, and you want to see the success in the situational side of the game. Yes. You want the guy that's going to nail it in the two-minute, nail it in the in the red zone, those things in practice. The, you can assess that there, and the preseason will be valuable too because you'll be able to get a little bit of a sense of how he does against other competition and live game action. I know, like, for example, it's hard to assess linebackers and safeties in these games because, yeah. you know, you could be in the run fit or you're able to finish the tackle. The safety, you can manipulate them a lot differently in a game, especially when you're not doing like a joint practice type of deal. I mean, both these teams are going to know each other pretty well in their tendencies, and I'm sure they'll bring some different wrinkles. But this is a great opportunity in the preseason to see see what these guys bring to the table. And I know it's so interesting to me because I'm so familiar with the Pat Shermer offense too because yeah. of him being in Minnesota. So I can I can definitely see, you know, which quarterbacks would fit best within that system. And I think, you know, Teddy's that game manager, you know, gonna, gonna, not going to make mistakes, you know, a lot of times. And, and he'll, he'll get what you need to do done, but – I mean, I still think that Drew Locke just has the the overall upside, but is he going to be able to put it all together? There's just there's just so many question marks. Even like Brett Rippon throws with great anticipation. That, that's my takeaway. But there's just these moments where it's like, man, what are you doing? Yep. I mean, yep. so that's the Jets game in a, in a in one sentence that was the Jets game last like year. Like only the only first start. Bridgewater and and Locke. Like if they could throw us some anticipation, it'd be great. I mean that that's the thing that I I feel like they that's what's missing from the game is like throwing receivers open mm-hmm. that type of thing that's what you got to have especially with these corners being able to tight cover you got to be able to make the tight window throw and throw your receivers open and I think that's the area where maybe Locke is able to put it together down the road once he gets a grasp of everything and and gains more reps so I mean I know we're talking a lot about the quarterbacks but I feel so strongly that like the roster overall the the defense should be okay i feel like the depth spots on the defensive side of the ball are decent i, I mean the, the quarterback position is is going to be the spot on this team that if if you don't make mistakes and you gain enough production out of it i mean you, you can have a solid team and with the, the schedule that the broncos have this year i mean you never know well and kind of that's been i mean Basically, everybody I've talked to that has really thought about it is the Broncos look like they're a quarterback away. And with Bridgewater kind of struggling, and again, like struggling might be too strong a word, but like honestly, like he hasn't pulled away from block. And so that is a concern is if, if he's not doing enough to be that game manager type, does it make more sense to go with Locke based on the upside? And mm-hmm if they continue to be this close, like it's probably a real fair argument. The, well, the, the, go ahead. Sorry. Well, and I mean, you can always assess it. You can start the season with lock and you get a couple games in. you don't like the way it's going. You can throw Teddy and that's, that's the advantage of having a guy that has played in NFL games before like Teddy. I don't know how they'll view this. Is it, you go with the guy that's got the experience and, and maybe is able to manage the game and not make as many mistakes versus the guy that might be a little bit more reckless, but has, the upside and maybe can give you more in the the explosive vertical passing game off play action. I mean, it comes down to what you're looking for and how to complement that defense. I mean, you look at George Payton and Pat Sherman, Minnesota with Case Keenum, the defense was phenomenal. Case Keenum just, you know, he was, he was the gambler, man. He'd throw those balls all over the place, take chances, just let his receivers make plays. You know, he had digs and feeling that year and just, all the all the things that they were able to do offensively were the result of Case just gunslinging it out there, and I think that's that's the approach that you got to take when you got a good defense. Because hey, even if you turn the ball over, maybe your defense can get a get a stop because they're strong enough. I go with the guy that's gonna gonna give you the most upside, and I believe that's Drew Locke. Well, and and again, like the way this is kind of drawing out, I'm starting to think that that probably makes the most sense. My big concerns with Locke kind of going into the preseason, and this is what I'm really looking for today, because by the time this drops, it'll be Saturday. Yep. I want to see ball placement, and I want to see his mechanic. Like Again, I haven't gotten to see him in practice. Um, I've, I've heard enough that like he's having still having issues connecting with receivers at spots. I know uh, Friday or Thursday, I want to say in team, he went 6 of 13, which is kind of kind of troubling. Um, but again, without seeing it, I don't necessarily know how much of it was on him, how much of it 
and but that is a big concern of mine. And then I, you're not the first person I've heard mention that he seems to be thinking a lot, and that's mm-hmm. a concern. Just because going back to last year, Locke, there was definitely games where Locke really struggled with the the mental processing aspect of the position. And granted, part of it, you kind of think, well, as he gets more experience, that will probably get better because the game will slow down. But the Broncos are kind of running out of time pretty quick here. Like, yeah, this year, this year is really like they need to make the playoffs or there's going to be a lot of people fired. And so yeah. like, do, do you have the patience to hope that Drew Locke figures that out? And right. that's the question that needs answering. Yeah, and I, I think you nailed it. I mean, Drew Locke, it, it's the inconsistency. There, there are moments where I'm like, oh, my gosh, like Drew Locke, man, the, the one throw up the seam, something like that, where you're like, okay, I see all that arm strength. I see all that overall talent popping off a tight window throw, and then there's a moment where it's like off-platform going against the grain, like just not a very mechanically sound throw. So it's like – can you string it all together, put it all together and have success on it? And the preseason will be valuable. That's where you gain some experience in the game. You see what you got. And the Broncos, they'll have a pretty good idea. The joint practices actually were very beneficial for both teams. This is a great opportunity for the front office staff and the coaching, uh, the coaches as well, to get a feel for where they're at. And some of the things with Locke, I feel like were related to the Vikings interior defensive line, just playing at such a high level. I mean, collapsing pockets, pushing the pocket. Michael Pierce was playing really well. I, I would, if I was a Broncos fan, I'd I'd be a little bit, maybe a little bit concerned about Lloyd Cushenberry. Like, Oh, I'm I'm, I'm definitely concerned about Lloyd Cushenberry. I, I, I'm not even a little bit like last year. He, again, he started, he was the one Broncos lineman last year who played every single snap, but he was also the Broncos worst offensive lineman the entire year. So but I feel like, I feel like it's, it's kind of like what the Vikings are dealing with, with Garrett Bradbury, where you see these centers that come out where you're taking that athletic guy, you know, maybe doesn't hold up as well against these big nose tackles. And in this type of league where you're going against elite defensive tackles, every single game, you got to have a center that can stack up and pass pro and it, you know, teams love now with the wide zone, being able to have that center that that's mobile can get to the second level and reach defensive tackles. And, and that is productive, but you also have to have a center that can anchor against quality defensive tackles. And I think that's where you can draw a parallel between Lloyd Cushenberry and Garrett Bradbury for the Vikings. Well, and and then one of the other problems with that too is the fact that, like you said, defensive tackle is probably one of the deepest positions in the NFL. Like there's just, there's so much talent right now. And if you have a big hole at center, a lot of teams are starting to generate pressure by sending an edge rusher or moving a backer right above the A-gap to pressure them. Because what you do is you game it and you end up isolating that guy and all of a sudden he has to hold up by himself in pass pro. And the Broncos last year had a ton of issues because teams were doing that to exploit Cushenberry. And you, you can't do a whole lot because what they'll do is they'll occupy the guards. And all of a sudden right. he's left on an island. Yep. Yeah, that, and that's the biggest thing that, that they have to figure out is the interior of that defensive line because that was my takeaway from you know the O-line, D-line one-on-ones, the team periods. The Vikings' interior O-line, D-line was playing phenomenal. And – it was both ways where I felt like the interiors of these offensive lines for both teams have a lot of work to do where Quinn Mennery's, I think like there are moments where I see flashes with him. And then there are moments where it's like, this guy just needs a little bit more time. Yeah. So is he the guy that maybe is the future? I always felt like Cushionberry maybe coming out would be better suited to play guard. So maybe that's the long-term path is, is you move, you move Cushenberry to guard and, and try Quinn at center. Well, and that's why, so early in camp, a lot of the Broncos reporters were basically saying that Miners is going to need a red shirt year. So, and I, to me, it makes sense again. Like he, he hasn't played since 2019 because last year with COVID Wisconsin whitewater didn't, didn't play. And then he came out and he looked really good in the senior bowl. But when I talked to uh, sports info solutions, Nathan Cooper, he had studied minors when he was at uh, UW and he basically said like, he did not look like this player at the senior bowl. So it's like, 
his adjustment to the NFL could be kind of rough. And again, I didn't see all practice, but the clips I saw, there were definitely some clips there where you're like, oh boy, which is kind of scary just because then the, the Broncos interior offensive line right now is really reliant on either Cushenberry putting it together or maybe Brett Jones. Like they signed Brett Jones right before camp. <laughs> I know, I know. Oh but boy. They, but they signed him right before camp. And when they signed him, that to me was a sign that they thought that miners might be a year away. They, they wanted some mean, sort of veteran insurance. Miners just has to pick up all the intricacies of playing the center position as well. So that I honestly, I think that's some of it because you look at how he performed in the one-on-ones. I thought he was more consistent in that area. Okay. So there are a lot more things going on when you're in team drills, you got, you know, making the calls and the protections up front, get used to playing center in the national football league. And I mean, being playing at a lower level, coming all the way up. I mean, you're still playing ball and you're still doing a lot of those things, but it's at another level. So, I mean, maybe that's some of the the, the issue there. He just needs some time and, and the preseason will be fascinating as he gets some more of those reps. But Miners is a guy that I think can turn into something in the future. There's definitely a ton of potential that I left going, okay, this guy is definitely someone that you invest time into him. He's going to become a solid player. I thought Glasgow inside. I thought he was the best of all the interior offensive linemen uh, out there that you guys had. I mean, he was definitely performing well. Reisner is just kind of up and down occasionally, but I thought, you know, the Viking, the, the takeaway was the Vikings, they're going to have one of the better interior D lines. I mean, they invested a lot of resources into that this off season, getting Dalvin Tomlinson and then Michael Pierce coming back off of COVID opt out and, Armin Watts, a guy who's had a phenomenal training camp, one of the better players uh, overall that we saw throughout training camp here in Minnesota. So definitely faced a stiff challenge there, I would say. And it's something that will help the Broncos interior offensive line moving forward. I just worry about, you know, looking looking at your interior offensive line the whole time. I'm like, well, (laughs) I don't know, you know, if you get a couple of injuries, how you're going to hold up. And I I honestly think that the Vikings and the Broncos have some similarities in terms of the weakness on their team seems to be on the offensive side of the ball as an interior offensive line. And that is definitely one of my big concerns kind of going into today and then kind of going forward. And like you said, the Vikings did invest enough resources into their defensive line that they just might be a really bad matchup. But the thing is like, there's a, there's, there's not, they're not the only team that's going to be loaded at defensive tackle. So like, that is definitely a big concern of mine. Um, especially considering the fact that with the quarterback play potentially being as shaky it is, as it is, the Broncos are going to need the line to be a strength just so they can kind of try and like, at least give the quarterbacks a chance. And then also if they have to try and rely on their ground game to at least kind of keep things stable. And if they're, if they're, Giving up as many tackles for loss as it seemed like they were giving up to the Vikings, I'm I'm concerned for sure. Yeah, and that that would be the one thing I would say, just as an outsider evaluating the Broncos, it, it comes back to that. And I would say, you know, stability at the quarterback spot, and then on the defensive side of the ball, stringing together that linebacker room. You know, there's question marks there with the injuries inside the second level of the defense that that has to be sorted out as well because you have a weak group there a lot of nfl coaches can take advantage of that with misdirection and a lot of creative packages and play action stuff that can get your second level defender in trouble i would say you know Sernod definitely is a guy that likes to bite on the play action occasionally like that is something that i noticed a lot of uh throughout the practices is like this guy just needs to you know get some reps and that that that's where you guys could face some issues is like hey you just got to figure out get some guys some reps overall and it's one of those things that depending on how slow jewel is to come back or how impacted he is by the groin injury i'm kind of curious if uh peyton actually looks to see about trying to bring in a veteran linebacker as cuts start to happen just because I mean, the Broncos have Alexander Johnson and yes, like Justin Sernod, like Broncos, like Broncos country has been very, very high on Justin Sernod. And I'm not trying to douse like that flame, but he's a fifth round pick who missed all of last year, hasn't played yet. And coming out of Wake Forest, there was a lot of questions about his ability to get off blocks and a lot of questions about him getting out of control. 
And mm-hmm. based on what I have seen from the clips of practice, he's he's drinking from a garden hose. Um, and granted, like Fangio's defense isn't necessarily easy until like it kind of all clicks. But if if he's starting early because Jewel is not able to come back at 100%, like that is going to probably be an issue against some of the better teams on the Broncos schedule. Yeah, and it will be interesting to see how, you know, he's utilized. I mean, he was a really good coverage player back in college. And I mean, that's one of the things you go and look at all the grades for Sernod and and see that was definitely a strength. So with the Broncos possibly playing some dime, he could be the linebacker in that type of package just because of his, his skill set and how that would fit into the puzzle. I would say, you know, the, the biggest thing is, is I'd say he's, he's, he's solid in terms of range, but I wouldn't say he's like elite in that, mm-hmm. in that category. And that's kind of what I thought too, when he was coming out is he's a, he's an upgrade in terms of that, in terms of range over like Alexander Johnson or Josie Jewell, but it's not like Baron Browning. And again, Brown, Browning might not even be ready to play. We, we haven't heard anything really like the Broncos that have kind of be- kept us in the dark as far as his injury, but he suffered an injury in OTAs. Hasn't come off the pup list since. Yeah, I know. And that's the thing is he's got to be, he's got to be able to contribute because that's one of the things that I, I feel like is, is a major question mark. If Browning is available, then that, you know, he's still going to need to get up to speed. Mm-hmm. And that's a, that's the biggest thing is he's losing out on those, those important training camp reps. So, you know, how do you, how do you get that room to come together? I'd say the only guy that maybe stood out a bit, down the depth chart is maybe Curtis Robinson. I've heard, which I've heard, I've heard me that. a little bit. He's he's someone that that caught my eye against the run a couple of times, physical, able to get off of blocks, a couple of run stops here and there. Out of all the players, he's definitely the one that popped a little bit for me. And the, with Browning's injury, depending on if he ends up on IR or ends up just kind of sticking on the pup list for the early part of the season. The fact that he's out now, I do expect the Broncos to carry five off-ball linebackers just because at this point, like, it's probably unrealistic to really expect him to contribute much early in the year at least, maybe all year. So yeah. it's at this point where right now the Broncos have Alexander Johnson, Justin Sternod, and then a lot of questions behind them. And Josh Watson last year was kind of like their special team's ace, but but I heard early in camp that Curtis Robinson was showing up. So like hearing that from the Vikings practices, it's definitely encouraging. Uh, one one question I have to ask you about the dime because you mentioned it. Uh, how much did and again I don't know how much you noticed it, but how much did it look like the Broncos were using it? Just because the Broncos used nickel or dime last year seventy five percent of the time, and that's with they rotated through ten cornerbacks. Um, yeah. So now that it's a strength of the roster especially considering the questions of linebacker, it could make sense to try and use a lot more dime. Yeah. And with the personnel, you know, you just look at the personnel that the Broncos have, it seems like that would be the right type of package to use. And they invested so many resources into the defensive backfield and have money built up into that spot that it obviously seems like that's something important. And I know George Payton up in Minnesota here, one of the things that he has emphasized the most is you got to have really good corners. It's a space and cover league. You got to be strong in that area. And it's something that Minnesota invested heavily in. And I know it's a core philosophy of his that he will bring to Denver. And it's obvious. I mean, picking Patrick Sertan in the first round, he is valuing that position. And I know I know a lot of Broncos fans are, are upset about that, but I'm telling you, I honestly, I think that pick is going to pay off big time especially if, you know, everyone's going to look, see if Fields pans out or not. Mac Jones, does he pan out? Georgia evidently didn't feel confident that those two were, were going to be the answers. So he'll have to solidify that later, figure out his plan at quarterback. You know, you can end up with Aaron Rodgers next year. Who knows? But overall frequency of the dime, you know, I'm looking at a whole bunch Everything. of different stuff. We got two yeah. fields going on, but I did see the dime package, you know, occasionally I would say throughout, I mean, they were mixing looks a lot. I thought Fangio and Zimmer were being really aggressive throughout these practices. And I'm sure they talked about it and said, need to really assess up front on both sides of the ball, figure out the types of skill sets you have on the defensive side. And like I said, I think the preseason will be a good evaluation point for linebacker and safety. I just don't feel like you can draw full conclusions on those position groups after studying and being at training camp for years, like nine years doing this now, 
I, I always feel like I leave camp and go, I don't have a real good read on the safeties and the linebackers. I, I get a sense of what they're good at. You know, are they coverage? Are they a physical run stopper? Can they do both? Now in the preseason, I'll be able to pair that up with, okay, can this guy get it done in the game? Is he able to wrap up in space? If he gets out on the perimeter, is he able to actually close the play? So, you know, long-winded answer, but I do think – you know, there there is a lot of potential on that back end. I mean, Kate, guy like Caden Stearns, loved him coming out of the draft. I think you give this guy some time to develop, uh, working in that system under Justin Simmons, getting some experience, a ton of upside. Good athlete. See flashes. And I, I, I firmly believe that, you know, George making that pick and investing even in – and Jamar Johnson, another guy that I liked. I just felt like George was picking all my guys in like the mid late rounds that I that I love watching college football because it's where I spend a lot of my time in the fall is, is covering college football too. Well, and, and for me, Stearns, based on just what I've heard so far, I'm really looking to see if he is actually kind of the heir apparent to Kareem Jackson because Jackson's on that one-year deal. So yep. right now the Broncos are in this situation where – they're probably going to carry four safeties. They might carry five based on like what happens with Trey Marshall and PJ Locke. But I think Stearns is clearly making a move to like be a factor on the defense at some point this year, if need be. Um, and I kind of, I'm hoping to see more of that in the preseason. Uh, as far as Sertan goes, and I know I'm leading the charge on this a lot, just because again, I was very critical of that pick. Uh, but at the same time, I love Sertan. He was the top defensive player on my board. And I loved him for the Broncos. He was the top defensive player for Fangio system on my board. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I, I think he like, based on everything I've heard, like he's going to be a strong contender to be one of those D Roy's early. I just, because of the quarterback situation, it's hard to ignore what fields and Jones are going to probably be able to do. And so I'm definitely going to have kind of an eye on that as well, just because if the Broncos have the best defense in football, but they're at home in January, you're still wondering, but one other question I have for you that, uh, really kind of, I, I, you know, I got to ask you, um, you mentioned Jerry Judy and you also mentioned Andre Mintz, uh, as two guys that really caught your eye and Judy doesn't surprise me. Obviously Judy, Judy from everything I've heard so far, looks like he is going to be like the Broncos number one wide receiver. You haven't heard much about Mintz. Um, I got a buddy who's scouting for the CFL, uh, just in case, like, you know, for cuts. And he mentioned Mintz. But other than that, I have not heard about him at all. Yeah, Mintz caught my eye quite a bit as a developmental player. Maybe he's not a guy that makes the 53, but I honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if he did. Uh, there, There's a ton of upside in his game. The quickness and the explosiveness, like the quick twitch trade is there. Obviously, he's not that guy with the massive length and long arms, but – He's so quick, and despite that, I think there were a lot of reps too where he was solid against the run, and and that was the case in college as well. He, he was a guy that was surprisingly good at, at gaining leverage, and, and that's the one thing that I noticed. There were times where he got locked up and maybe didn't get good hand position, hand combat, or you know, good leverage, but when he did, he was able to get off of blocks because of that. He's more of a finesse guy, and he's not going to win with strength, and he's not going to win with length. But he's got that explosiveness and nice arsenal of moves. You, you see a mix occasionally and, and just winning with that speed that he has. And I thought he caught my eye in the one-on-ones. He was doing well in the team drills as well. So I, honestly, I think you might have something there overall with Mintz. It, it's, it might not be immediate impact type of guy, but someone that you get Vic Fangio's hands on him and Donatel some time to work with him. Uh, I, I would invest in it. And I think some NFL teams should keep an eye on him in the preseason too, if Denver releases him. Well, and he, and with uh, the Broncos edge room, they have the three big names with Von Miller, Bradley Chubb, and then Malik Reed. And I know when Mintz was coming out and I kind of kept up with his profile and like, I went and looked at him and he reminds me of Malik Reed when he was coming out. Uh, so mm-hmm. the Broncos kind of have a track record for developing that type into the Fangio edges. So I'm I'm definitely eager to see because they do have an open competition for that fourth spot on the depth chart. Yeah, and he's done enough. I mean, I, I don't see him every day, but I mean, just watching him in the in the workouts, he he was a player that 
immediately stood out to me. And I'm, I'm just looking as an outsider going, okay, does this guy stand out legitimately? And, and obviously I'd done homework with the draft and watching college football and just, you know, highlighting guys that I see. And I, I was not expecting Mintz to be that guy that grabbed my attention, but the athletic testing and the data tells you that, you know, he was rather effective in college and also has a lot of upside and potential. And this scheme seems to be one that would fit him particularly well and uh, definitely a guy that that this staff would value in the future, I think. Definitely. Um, and then Judy, uh, yeah. let me know. Like, I mean, I, I am one of those people at no point last year was I worried about Jerry Judy. A lot of people in Broncos country were sweating the yeah. fact that he was dropping passes. A lot of people were concerned that he was going to be a bust. And it's like, to me, it was – he needed time. Like there's definitely like, there's things he needed to work on. I think like, and again, I don't think he's ever going to be a guy who goes through a season without dropping a single pass by any means, but the separation quickness is elite. Um, and it was elite coming out. Uh, and so I thought basically as he kind of gets better syncing up with the offense, the sky's the limit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I watched him and I went, this guy is sensational to view in person. And I mean, I see it on TV and, Watch the all 22 film at Alabama when I was studying that offense. And I go, this guy knows how to get open. Like the ability to stem a route and not move your head. Like that's one of the things is, is he's like, he does not give you any idea what his route's going to look like. He's so good at like stemming, great footwork off the line, gets to the break point, and then nasty head fake gets the DB moving the other direction, open hips, and boom, snap off the route and get tons of separation as a result. He's just so quick off the line of scrimmage. His footwork is fantastic. I mean, consistently running releases that get him open. And, I mean, that that's the area that I was most impressed with. Like, you see on his route tree, the corner route is just filthy for him. Like, that, that's the route where I'm like, holy cow. And then, like, a, a deep post. So those corner routes and the deep post – the slants he seems to get separation on. There, there are times where maybe you know a ball gets knocked away on that because he, he doesn't get as much separation on that route. But then there's moments where he gets a ton of separation. And I noticed like he did have like at least one drop on the intermediate balls. It seems like this the slants are the ones that trip him up a little bit more, those quick hitters where he's got to make that quick, you know, con quick quick grab and he doesn't have a lot of time to think about it. So that that's the one area where I'm like, you know, Judy just got to be a little bit more consistent hands wise, but like this separation was phenomenal. And he was definitely one of the best players overall on the field when you're watching out there. I mean, it's like you got Von Miller, you got Bradley Chubb, you got Jerry Judy. Uh, I mean, I would put Sertan in that other tier, like uh, Shelby Harris as well. Like I was so impressed with him getting a chance to see him live. I mean, there, there's a lot of, of really good like blue chip talent. And then I think I was surprised at, at some of the, some of the depth pieces. And I think you're going to notice that as, as people who follow and cover the Broncos that George Payton is going to do a really good job of finding those undrafted guys because he's going to use the data. He's going to use the analytics. He's going to be able to find these guys that fit the system and, he's going to surround himself with a staff that knows how to identify players that fit their system. And uh, that that's, was the strength. And I think, you know, you look at Minnesota's rosters, that's where George really left his print was finding those guys that develop and turn into something down the road, those mid to late round gems and even undrafted rookies. And the Vikings relied heavily on data and analytics because they go, Hey, you know, this guy, if we're throwing a dart on him, We'd rather have that high upside on the data category versus just having a guy that that you know had production in college. You want the guy that's got the the most upside yeah. and a higher probability of hitting. Definitely. So kind of kind of moving towards what what are you looking for most today from the Viking side of it? Um, mm -hmm. Knowing knowing what you know now about the Broncos roster, kind of like what are you <laughs> but what are what are you hoping to see from the Vikings? And kind of like, what do you expect to see like in their matchup with the Broncos? And again, like obviously in a preseason and, and you know, I think everybody listening probably knows this as well. Like the score doesn't really matter. Um, right. There's going to be so many rotations, 
the coaches are going to probably try and save guys as much as they can. I know like there's already been a, a like a report. Uh, and again, as we record this on Friday, there was a report already from, I want to say Ben Gosling that uh, Zimmer's not going to play a whole lot of starters. But that said, like that's still a lot of opportunities for young guys to really get a chance to show out. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, so what, what are you really looking for? Well, I want to see how the Vikings backup offensive linemen perform. This is a great opportunity to assess that because it's the question mark. You watch practices and you go, okay, who's going to win the right guard job? Oli Udo, undra- uh, guy that they drafted in the late round out of Elon a, f- a few years ago, was a tackle moving inside. They like his big body type and, and the power he brings. He's athletic for the player with his size, and they decided to kick him into guard, and I think that's been really effective. He's been a strong performer for, throughout camp, someone that I think could – and should be the starting right guard come week one, and Dakota Dozier should not be winning that job. We saw last year just how poorly Dakota played. I mean, just the stunts, he can't handle any of that. The whole Vikings interior offensive line can't handle stunts. I just hope Vic Fangio runs a whole bunch of stunts so you can get a really good look at some of these interior offensive line. Like Drew Samia was just getting absolutely manhandled by Shamar Stefan, Isaiah Mack, just absolutely lighting him up and and he's one of those guys that definitely is is not in the mix so who who emerges at interior offensive line Wyatt Davis a guy they drafted and uh, will continue developing he's someone that I think is head and shoulders above everybody else then there's complete question marks who the heck knows what what they're going to do at interior offensive line they might look to get somebody there and then the swing tackle spot because First round pick Christian Derisaw had core muscle surgery in yep. January. He had to have a minor procedure cleanup earlier this week. So the Vikings are going to be starting Rashad Hill at left tackle until Derisaw is ready. So if that happens, who's the swing tackle? Blake Brandle's been getting those reps. He looked pretty good at the start of camp, but then in the joint practices, definitely took a step back. So I think they're okay with the, with the starters, and they know what that's going to look like. It's just those backup positions on the offensive line and then I also want to see the safety position outside of Harrison Smith and Xavier Woods they're looking at Cam Bynum a guy they drafted at a Cal converted corner moving to safety what's he able to bring to the table Josh Metellus primary special teams guy is he able to do anything at safety Luther Kirk a guy that I thought flashed a little bit in the Broncos joint practices is he someone that emerges for one of those backup safety spots and then like I said safety and linebacker just being able to see which guys are going to fill at the back half of those depth charts. And uh, this is a great opportunity to, to look at that because I think the Broncos defensive front poses some challenges yes. for the Vikings uh, offensive line that definitely thought that the Broncos reserve defensive line was head and shoulders above the Vikings reserve offensive line. So I guess Vikings offensive line, uh, second team is probably not the good measuring stick, but I definitely thought that there was a lot of potential within the the Broncos defensive front from some of those younger guys. Well, and that's one of those things that I'm definitely looking for too, is to see what that, that defensive line rotation really looks like against the Vikings, knowing that there's questions about the offensive line, especially the interior. Um, again, I don't expect Shelby Harris or Draymond Jones to play a whole lot. Um, I think right. the Broncos are going to probably try and save them. Same with Mike Purcell. But that means the Broncos, I want to say they're carrying they're carrying quite a few defensive tackles because they've had a couple injuries. Marquis Spencer's missing the game. It sounds like McTelvin Ajim's not going to play. But that means that these guys, Shamar Stefan, uh, Isaiah Mack, Deion Dozer, uh, Dan Sizer, like these these guys should get an opportunity to really show if they belong. And I I will be, and again, I don't, you know, not to not to I hope that they do. Um, I would be a little concerned if none of them really get any sort of pressure just because there are questions about the interior offensive line. Right. Yeah, you definitely want to get pressure against the Vikings interior offensive line if you're if you're looking at reserve guys. I mean, I, I thought yesterday Isaiah Mack flashed quite a bit, both against the run and as a pass rusher. Ajim is a guy that we didn't get to see, but I love the, the upside and potential within his game, and I thought – you know, he talking to people, I thought, you know, it sounded like he was really maybe going to be a guy on the rise for the Broncos this year. So when he comes back, he adds another player to the mix. I mean, I know Shamar Stefan well from Minnesota, and I would say 
you know, Shamar, the coaching staff just loved the, the attention to detail. Like they call him Mr. Fundamental up here. They loved the things that he brought to the table, but he just, he wasn't, he's, he's a rotational guy. Yep. You don't want yep. him to be an every down type of defensive tackle. And he tried to play him like that last year. And then, you know, you had him at three tech one year and then you're trying to play him. I think he's a little bit better as a nose and they, they were trying to move him all over the place. And he's a rotational guy that I feel like if you bring him in occasionally, he'll execute. He's a very smart player. So we'll see if he fits into the picture there. Honestly, I like the Lorenzo Neal signing that they made recently. I thought watching him in the Big Ten a lot, covering the Gophers, got a chance to see him. There's Maybe he's a practice squad stash guy, he's a developmental player. Um, definitely someone I was surprised that they were able to get. And one of the things, too, with Stefan that I really like is the fact that he really gives you insurance against Mike uh, Mike Purcell's injury. And if Mike Purcell can't get back and be what he was at the beginning of last year, based on what I've seen from him when he was with the Vikings, he looks like a guy who can play that nose spot in spurts and really help the Broncos in base if they need it. And that hopefully will mean that Deshaun Williams doesn't have to because Deshaun Williams, again, he tries and he's it's capable um, of fitting in small doses, but he's definitely undersized for a nose tackle. So ideally he's not playing that too much. Uh, the other thing you mentioned with the safeties to me, that is a sign that Locke should be able to open up the game a little bit. If they can keep him protected, um, mm-hmm. the Broncos have the receiving core even, and again, even if they're not playing Judy or Sutton a lot, they have the speed that they should be able to let, let up some deep balls and Locke should be able to show off if he can connect on some of that. Yeah, you can take some chances, try some different things, run concepts that stretch the Vikings vertically and, and you know, give the Vikings an assessment of what their safety play is as well. You know, there, there's discussion between these two teams because they want to make each other better. I mean, George mm-hmm. Payton and Rick Spielman are like best friends, been together forever, followed each other all the way up the ranks and worked hard. I mean, those guys are tight. They're all, you know, talking at camp and, you know, Vic Fangio and Mike Zimmer are really similar in terms of the coaching style. I mean, you, you talk about two defensive guys, mm-hmm. old school type of personality built around that. It just, it felt like the whole joint practice was all about throwing different wrinkles out there, sending a lot of pressure, you know, using a lot of different fronts, different coverages, mixing things up to try to get a read on where your offense is at. What's your skills, which skill sets you have on, on the defensive side of the ball. And I think, you know, the secondary of Denver should be one of the strengths of the team, just with the upside they have on the back half of the depth chart. And that you can tell they're planning ahead for the future with guys coming off the books, you know, with, you know, you mentioned it with Kareem Jackson, mm-hmm. thinking ahead there about what life looks like after him getting Jamar Johnson and, and Caden Stearns, two guys who I'm really excited to watch in the preseason as well. Uh, I also thought in the defensive backfield, Nick Harrison, Nate Harrison uh, stood out a little bit, made some plays occasionally at a pass, a couple of pass breakups throughout the practice session. So uh, I would keep an eye on him as well. Well, and one of the things, so I, I talked to you earlier this week for a three and out on mile high report. And you mentioned that the Vikings are probably going to be paying close attention to the Broncos safety cuts in part because Mm -hmm. they, they may have questions there. Are there any spots on the Bronco or are there any spots on the Vikings where it's going to be kind of some tough cuts, but like you wouldn't be surprised because of the strength of those spots. The other teams are going to probably try and poach from them. Yeah, I would definitely say the Broncos are in that mix because, you know, George Payton helped build this roster. So he knows every little intricacy and you already see it with getting Mike Boone, who was one of my boys. He he is going to be a guy that Broncos fans really like. Unfortunately, he got hurt, pulled up. Sounds like he's going to be out a while. So that's really unfortunate. But you know, you look at look at the Vikings with interior defensive tackle, the pass rushers. Guy that I feel like could potentially be attractive to the Broncos is Jordan Brailford, player that might not be able to make the the fifty three man roster, but has had a pretty good camp uh, pass rusher. Uh, and then you know the defensive tackle spots as well. I think a lot of the Vikings depth chart is pretty solidified. Like they they the back half of their depth chart is not like what it used to be. It's, it was one of the strengths that, that they had. And that's one of my concerns entering the season is like with, with the construction and the, the, the money division and this roster and how it's like all positioned, 
You can't have as many of those like really solid depth players. They're they're running a lot of vets on one year deals to patch some holes and get younger, uh, get you know get some veteran experience to help the youth that they had on defense. So you can't really afford that. I mean, you look at James Lynch, a guy that Mike Zimmer was talking a lot about this week. Said he thought he was one of the most improved players. He's playing nose now. He's playing primary three tech. Uh, last offseason as a rookie out of Baylor, he's someone that you that to watch out for. Hercules Mataafa is a tweener type of player. Uh, he w- he has flash. They they had him at defensive tackle, and then they moved him to the edge. He's someone that's on the fringe. Those are a few players overall on the defensive side of the ball. And then offensively, I think everything's you know pretty set on that side of the ball. I don't think there are going to be really any surprise cuts. If anything, Denver could poach a pass rusher possibly if they'd like or a defensive tackle. So one, one other player I wanted to ask you about just because I saw him on a few different highlights and also like I was really high on him coming out mm-hmm. this year was a uh, Amir Smith Marset. Um, mm-hmm. And it sounds like Zimmer definitely has taken notice of him. Cause he basically said like, he really likes him, but he's going to have to show up on special teams, but he's a player that's definitely should get some run today. Well, here, here's my stance on Amir Smith-Marset. Actually, I, I have not been as impressed as a lot of media people with Amir Smith-Marset. I, I, I see flashes in his game, but then there's routes where it's like, okay, dude, like you, you can't take off a play. Like You have to run detailed, sharp, crisp routes all the time. And there are moments where it's like, there's like two route every practice where you go, or, or two, one or two routes every practice where you're like, okay, dude, like you, you didn't execute that route at a high level. That was a really lazy route. And then there are moments where it's like, okay, this guy is really sudden and explosive out of the break. Like you can see the intricacies and the explosiveness when the ball's in space to him. And you could drop a lot of plays to get him the ball in space, you know, screens and, and things like that. I don't think he was utilized correctly at Iowa. Like he, he's, it's an interesting, it, he's an interesting player. I, I don't even know how to, how to describe it after watching him at camp, he, he's a puzzling dude. And he's got this kind of like cockiness to him. Like he, he, he catches a touchdown and he was like doing this massive celebration and like firing the fans up. And he's like way down on the roster. I, I feel like Mike Zimmer's just like, dude, like focus and play football. But yeah. he's that type of guy that doesn't like all the showboating, but yet again, he likes the, the, the swagger at times too. Uh, but you know, special teams wise, he hasn't, he hasn't performed as well as I thought he would. I mean, he was a really good return man at Iowa and, uh, Kanina Wong, who's been ahead of him. I would say, you know, KJ Osborne's done a nice job on those return units. Amir Smith-Marset has not stood out in that area. And that's where I thought he would have those two areas shored up and then easily make the roster. But now I see the path pretty easy. I honestly thought Blake Prohl was going to push, yeah, uh, Amir Smith Marset for a roster spot. He was showing me a lot. I mean, running good routes, looking good on special teams, but then he suffered an injury in practice, and it's looking like it's going to be a season-ending one. So, Amir Smith Marset probably makes it, but I think he's got more work to do than people think because you see the flashes, but there's also moments where it's like, okay, man, let let's see that consistency all the time. Do it the same way every single rep, and and figure it out and, and get that like ability to you know play be a professional at all times is what i would say gotcha he's a he's a guy that i'm looking to see how much he can test the broncos uh secondary today mm-hmm. just because i i do see the flashes and i and i did like again i thought he was underdrafted come coming out of iowa in part because the iowa offense was shaky their passing game was not yeah. great not good uh so one last question i want to ask you i know i'm keeping you for a while um so one of the things that I think fans kind of like overlook to some degree is the idea that like, obviously the coaching staff is not showing their full hand in these games. Like a lot of this stuff is kind of like, it's the evaluation tool. You're using your core concepts and it's kind yep. of stripped down version of your offense and your defense. That said, obviously the Viking systems are going to be significantly different than like what the Broncos see normally in practice. Um, and, and again, I know I talked to you a little bit about this earlier in the week, but Kubiak's offense, Clint Kubiak's offense is still kind of based around Gary's offense. So it should be familiar to the Broncos fans. 
Yeah, you should see all the staple concepts, the play action, the bootlegs, you know, all that type of stuff, the deep over routes, that those type of concepts. And then you'll also see the wide zone scheme that has been popularized and become, you know, a modern concept. Everybody wants to do the wide zone, the play action. But I think you're going to see a melding of Sean, Sean McVay, the Shanahan, Kubiak principles together. I'm hoping Clint Kubiak starts to maybe pass the ball a little more on early downs and get into that modern side of it and not be in those long down situations where you're running the ball on uh, on early downs and maybe not picking up as much yardage and you're putting yourself behind the sticks. Also, the tight splits, you know, condensing things up, bunching up, and also using motion to, you know, displace defenders and, and you know, create a lot of mismatches there and add that modern element to the offense. That's what I'm hoping to see. But, you know, it will be the core Kubiak system that everyone is used to with hopefully some modern wrinkles. And that's something that I'm looking forward to seeing. I mean, you're never going to get all the looks in the preseason. I'm going to save a lot of those packages. But in camp, you have saw a little bit of that stuff throughout, which is definitely encouraging. If, if you're a Vikings fan, you want to see – some of those modern wrinkles added to the offense because the Vikings do with Dalvin Cook. They, they built their team around being a, a running identity squad. Dalvin Cook's versatility is explosiveness. You know, one of the premier backs in the league and being in 12 personnel, like the 11th highest rate in the league last season, they, they want the two tight end Dalvin Cook running the football, but they also have to find that balance and, and get into the modern side of the league uh, being able to pass the ball in early downs, which is I'm, I'm team pass the ball in early downs. That That's going to be my thing forever. So I hope the Vikings uh, figure that out this season. Well, and one thing for Broncos country too, that where the Vikings are really going to help with this is the Vikings running the Kubiak offense should be able to give the Broncos defense a really good kind of glimpse of what they're going to see when they play the Jets, because the Jets run another variation of that. Yep. So that'll, that'll mm-hmm. definitely should be helpful um, on defense. And again, like, correct me if I'm wrong, but my understanding of the Zimmer defense is it's kind of quarters based. Um, it's yep. definitely going to, it's definitely going to be some of that. Um, the thing that has always stood out to me when I've watched the Vikings defense is what he does on passing downs um, to create pressure. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, yeah. You saw that with Gunther when Gunther moved to uh, the Raiders. Um, he was kind of stealing from some of the stuff that Zimmer was doing. I don't know how much we're going to see of that in the preseason, but that's definitely something I'm kind of looking for on third downs just because Drew Locke really struggled with a lot of that A-gap stuff last yeah. year. So if Zimmer's doing any of that, that's going to be something that should be a really good look at what Drew Locke is, where Drew Locke has grown. It, it'll be a good look for Teddy, too, because, I mean, that was one of the things that Teddy was pretty good at was handling the pressure and getting the ball out when he was in Minnesota as well. It's always been an area where he, ha- he has been particularly strong. So is that an area that he separates himself in and Locke maybe struggles a little bit more with that? I don't know, but... Uh, you know, Zimmer's going to always mix it up and he will even in the preseason run some double A gap blitzing. That's one of the things that he's become kind of the, the godfather of is that that concept getting guys downhill blitzing double A gap, sugaring it, bluffing, dropping guys, zone blitzing, all sorts of different things moving. You know, DJ Wanham's been interesting in camp, using him a lot like as a linebacker and getting him in different alignments. Zim is so creative with his defense and having a guy like Harrison Smith in the back end. I mean, we won't get to see that in the preseason, but that guy, if you watch him live and and you don't get to appreciate it on TV, you get to see it in person where making a check here, making a check there, Mm -hmm. you know, getting the defense set up. Like he's he's like having another coach in the back end of that defense. And so Zim loves to have, you know, a lot of different looks to throw at you. And I believe we'll see maybe the double A gap, maybe some stunting and some blitzing just to get a feel for what guys can do. But it will be scaled back and he'll leave the the full bag of tricks. There's always something new Zimmer puts out every year on defense. A lot of people think, you know, Zimmer's old school. He isn't going to add anything, but he's always studying up and, and adding some sort of defensive wrinkle each season. But he he won't he won't give that up early. It's way too early for that. And so I lied. So this is my last question that I promise I'll let you go. Hey, no, we can talk football all night. I, I sit here and talk football all day. I love, I love talking about another team, you know? You are very optimistic about George Payton. You think it's a brilliant hire. Yep. And I, I will admit, like, I am very, very optimistic when he was hired. 
the way the Broncos quarterback situation kind of went through this offseason, I'm definitely kind of waiting. I'm at a point where I would say that I am cautiously optimistic, but I'm also very skeptical of the process of where we are. That said, mm-hmm. part of it in my mind is I think George Payton thought he was getting Aaron Rodgers. And granted, mm-hmm. you know, obviously, like I believe that they were getting Aaron Rodgers. It didn't happen. Um, but I believe that's kind of what led to where we are now. Um, the one concern I have with that is obviously like if that doesn't happen, cause it's no guarantee, right. Then what? And that's my fear because I do think that this Broncos roster is going to be too good to kind of fall into the top end of the draft next year. And I don't think next year's draft is deep enough at quarterback that you're going to get a good quarterback later. Uh, yeah. And if, if you don't get Aaron Rodgers next off season, I mean, it, it does create more challenges, but I, I just think that, you know, overall, George is, is going to build this team around defense. You know, you're going to probably be a running game type of team as well. I, I mean, I'm, I'm expecting him to follow a similar path to what the Vikings did. And the strength of his game, like a, a strength of his, you know, personnel acquisition and the players that he's targeted, he's always wanted to find the guys that are like hidden gems, versatile players, athletic prototypes using the analytics pairing that up with production finding ways to you know create a system where you're you're drafting guys and developing them up and he's always going to have a deep roster on the back half of the depth chart you'll be surprised every year at how well you do an undrafted free agency you know bringing in maybe a one or two, you know one year deal guy that you know turns into a a role player for you and then he'll be able to sign that free agency player where maybe he's on the cusp of his prime and he'll be able to elevate you to another level. Those are the things that that's how George builds his team. He's never going to like go out and break the bank and spend all throw cash at the wall. He's going to always find that mid tier type of guy that's on the cusp of his prime and sign him. Now I would say, you know, quarterback wise, it's going to be interesting to see how he, how he navigates this because like you said, if this team, is a playoff squad. They're not going to be picking high in the draft. Is he going to have to give up some capital trade up? Does he get Aaron Rodgers? He, he you know, a lot, no, a lot of people are freaking out about like the Peter King article where he's talking about corner value yeah, and cornerback yep. and that whole thing. And, and I, would, I wouldn't read into that too much. I think, I think George just, he, he knows when he finds a quarterback that he wants and, and when he does and he covets that guy, he, he will go get him. So what, what that told me as someone who, has been around it and seen it. He didn't feel strongly about those two quarterbacks. Yeah. Otherwise, he he would have picked them, and he he would have done his homework. His personnel staff would have done the homework. He he is one of the hardest working people. Like there will not be a stone unturned man with with George Payton. He is going to vet hard, so you know you're going to get the best personnel evaluations. He's going to use the data. He's going to gain as much information as he can, and he's going to surround himself with really good people. So I, I would be patient with George, give him time. He'll figure out that quarterback thing, but I think he's done a great job formulating this roster in other ways. I thought the draft was really strong and, and some of the acquisitions that he brought in uh, just in undrafted free agency too. Yeah. And, and I, and I'm going to admit, like I saw that quote on Sunday night and I didn't share it just because to me it was kind of repeating what I had already known. Um, a buddy of mine reached out about a week before the draft to tell me the Broncos were in love with Trey Lance. Um, if he fell to nine, they would take him. They did not want Justin Fields. Uh, so it didn't, and honestly, I'll admit that helped me a lot because I love Justin Fields coming out. Um, and granted, like I'm totally okay with me and me and Peyton disagree on it. We'll see kind of who's right. But at the same time, like, I don't, I don't doubt that he did his homework. Uh, I just worry about where they go from here. Um, and that's kind of my big fear because I think in today's NFL, if you don't have a quarterback, it's really, really hard to win year after year. Well, and you look at the division that the Broncos are playing. Exactly. Justin Herbert, you know, having Patrick Mahomes twice a year, those guys, and you know, Las Vegas, you know, they're probably going to be in the mix for quarterback eventually. You know, Derek Carr is not the elite quarterback, but you know, Gruden Gruden loves them and they mm-hmm. match up well. And could this be the year that they take a big step forward? as Mayock and Gruden, you know, start to really make their mark on the roster. I'm not sold. I think it's, you know, I, I think Denver's position. Well, it, it, it all comes back to that, to the quarterback play. And I, I just, I can tell you that much that 
George evidently did not feel strongly about Fields or he would have definitely pulled the trigger. And he's more likely, you know, you look at the past tendencies of the Vikings, he's more likely to sign like an experienced veteran quarterback, like make a splashy move for Aaron Rodgers Mm-hmm. And do that versus you know drafting a guy. He he will do that and keep his core roster intact. Not have you know not not go for a quarterback that you're not sure on. He might sign Aaron Rodgers and then draft another guy and and see you know throwing the darts and seeing what happens. I mean George Payton's always been the guy that wants to have a lot of picks in the draft. He's going to throw a lot of darts because the more darts you have, the better chance you have of hitting guys. And 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 I think you're going to notice that. Thank you so much for joining me. It was uh, fun, man. I loved it. It's great. Just talking talking ball, talking Broncos. I mean, this is an intriguing team, Joe. I, I'm excited about it. Just seeing, you know, the team out here. And two guys we didn't talk about. We got to talk about yeah, before we yeah. go. Roger Dukes thought he looked pretty good, especially the first practice. Upside. Big guy, but moves pretty well in and out of breaks, gets open. Uh, someone that I don't know if he's going to make the roster or not, but – Fringe guy maybe shows out in the preseason. Trinity Benson as well. I thought he uh, showed that, some good things. That's music to my ears because you, we have not seen a lot of reports about Benson out of camp this week. Like before the Broncos moved, you know, came to Minnesota, he was a guy that like was really trending upwards. And I think that those two are fighting for one of those last couple spots. Well, and I mean, I, I I don't think he was making a ton of splash plays. You know, I think that's what you see. You know, yeah. but I'm always watching. Like, okay, how does this guy run a route? You know, what does the technique look like? How is he? How is he getting open? Like, is he getting separation? Does he have a chance to make the play? And I just felt like Benson stood out in those drills, and as a guy that, you know, maybe could be someone that bursts onto the scene. Uh, in the preseason, and I, I, I just thought Dukes and and him were both standout performers on the back half of the depth chart. Because I'm looking at the back half of the depth chart. I spent a lot of time watching those guys because, obviously, with the extra valuation point, Vikes might be interested in bringing in a couple guys. Definitely, awesome guys. Again, if you do not follow Daniel on Twitter, uh, he is at Daniel House NFL. Also, follow Vikings Corner so you can keep up with the Vikings this year. And yeah, thanks so much for joining me, man. Hey, thanks for having me on. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad... To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad... To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai.